Coog's house. I know that you come here usually for the more positive outlook on things, and usually I am that guy, but this is your fair warning. This is not a very optimistic episode. You are Locked On Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, the daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Andrew, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater, can step by, please be sure to subscribe down below. That way we get the Cougs on your news feed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked On Cougs your first listen of the day. And if you found us on the YouTube channel, it is so good to see you again. Remember to subscribe when we give away every 250 subscribers. The next one is at 1750. We're at about 1600. I think we're still just over 1600. So make sure to subscribe, get us there and like and comment on the video. So let us know you're in the contest. If after hearing um, me give my honest opinion on some things about the football program, you're like, Oh no, I don't know what to say. Um, let's think about happy things. Uh, the Westminster Dog Show was right before the Houston Cougar game on Saturday. Tell us what your favorite brand or brand breed of puppy is. What's a cute puppy? I positive thoughts. All right, so I mentioned in the opening that uh, this is not going to be a very optimistic or positive episode. Houston Cougars down, kind of bad right now. And um, I typically watch the game in order to do this. I didn't watch it this way as a fan. I watch it. Uh, I find ways to get a full three times in if I can, right? Saturday Live, uh, whatever the game happens live, usually piecemeal it sometime over the course of now that we have a three-month-old Saturday night, Sunday morning, and then once more in like quick style, like I'm just like fast-forwarding between plays um, before recording if I can, maybe maybe Monday night. Um, I got through two and got part of the way through the third one. I just stopped. This was a ugly football game in the second half especially. Um, so we're going to talk about some of the stuff that happened in the course of the Houston Cougar and Texas Tech football game. I gave you a warning. This is not a very optimistic outlook, even though some things might have gone well in the first half. Um, Houston Cougars, I'm sure, I'm sure I should back up. If you are tuning in and did not watch the game or were under a rock, Houston Cougars lost to Texas Tech 49-28. to uh, 49-28 in a game played in Lubbock on Sunday, Saturday afternoon. Um, I want to talk first about what must have happened at halftime, because apparently that's where the wheels fell off. Um, or what did or didn't happen at halftime. Second segment, I want to talk some about the defense because we were noticing poor trends here and not trends that I want to keep going. And then last but not least, I want to talk about what could come next. Now, the first segment, I probably have way too much stuff to fit into a short segment here at the start, but let's just go through it. For what it's worth, offensively, (laughs) this is not the optimistic episode, but for what it's worth, I did predict 28 points. Um, I thought Houston would win 28-24, and I'm always going to predict, unless I think they're just crazy on match. I'm going to predict because I think I'm looking the week looking for ways that Houston can win the game. I'm going to have talked myself into that point that they do the XYZ things and win the game. Um, 28 points did happen. The defense touchdown I thought would come did not happen. Um, I will say that um, if you'd have told me the Houston Cougars have 489 yards of offense and four touchdowns all through the air, um, I would have assumed that things were going our way. I would assume that was a game that Houston wins. It's nearly 500 yards of offense. However, something stopped clicking because of the nearly 500 yards of offense, 
less than 130 of it were the second half. All of the offense happened in the first half, which leaves me wondering what changed. Because in the first half, Houston was, or Donovan Smith specifically, was 19 of 24 passing for 264 yards. In the second half, he was 10 of 17 passing for just 71 yards. Um, came out in the second half, like early in the third quarter. Uh, Parker Jenkins catches a nice. I can't tell if it's a swing pass that Jack Freeman reads it and gets out in front of her. It's actually a screen pass that only Jack Freeman's out there in front of because there's other concepts happening. Um, but Smith stepped up, delivered to Parker Jenkins, a nice little swing pass. He gets upfield. Um, the next play is like a middle run. He gets blasted but gets positive yards. The play after that is the Donovan Smith fumble, sack fumble that Houston does fall on. But it's kind of the last snap of consequence we saw Parker Jenkins in. And I can't tell if there's some thought that maybe Parker Jenkins was supposed to stop that or if he came out because he got blasted in the play before and someone, hey, we need to check him out. I don't know. I've not got no reporting on that still. No one asked post-game what was going on there. Um, swing and a miss, I think. I think that's a, a question worth asking. Why is your best running back not getting more snaps of consequence in the third and fourth quarter as it was a one-score game that bl- ballooned into a three-score game? Um, Mathis did a lot, but in his seven carries, he had just 13 yards. He had a lot of blocking, other things, had some catches, but seven carries for 13 yards. Parker Jenkins' longest carry was 13 yards. He had a single catch for 12 yards, right? Like the production doesn't seem to match up with what we're seeing on the snap count there. Um, on rewatch, the TV angle, um, it looks like the defensive adjustment Texas Tech made in the second half was they went to a more underneath zone, daring Houston to go over the top. That obviously creates longer developing routes, which means that Dom Smith needs to sit back and wait to throw because it's longer developing routes. Houston very clearly did not do that. Now, before the half, when they ran a more sagged off zone to kind of come up, rally and tackle, Houston's having a field day picking things apart. Um, and I can understand, frankly, and I said this in the post game show on Saturday, at halftime, the offense is like, all right, we're feeling good about what we're doing. The issue is, and the indefensible thing about the offense is that. In the third quarter, once you catch the jab, counterpunch, whatever, from the Texas Tech defense and they tighten down their zone, they play a little bit more front-facing coverage, et cetera, pull the guy, like, then you have to adjust full stop. Like, there's no there's no question. Yes, the offense rolled for the first half, but they're going to change what they're doing. And Houston never really had success in changing anything. I don't want to say they didn't try. They, they had no success in changing anything. And that is unfortunate. Um, it does mean, you know, in the zone kind of stuff that Texas Tech sat in for a lot of the game, a um, lot less rub routes, a lot, le- lot more sticks and uh, spot kind of routes. Um, and they had some success with it early. Some shifts in this uh, t- uh, Texas Tech set at halftime led to them not having it later. Um, the way that you combat the zone and the zone blitz especially would be through the run game. And again, Parker Jenkins gets subbed out and more or less sits out most of the consequential snaps in the second half. I, I have no answer there. That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, the the other big critique of the offense, I think it's fair, is um, by the end of the game, Houston officially, I think it was uh, 2 of 12 on the season on fourth down plays. They had fairly decent third down numbers in the Texas Tech game for whatever that's worth, but 2 of 12 on the season on fourth and short plays. Um, We have heard from Dana Holgerson that is not the play calling. Take that as you may. Um, I think that there are ways that the plays that are called work on fourth down. I don't mean to say they're not, but they're not working currently. Um, And I just don't understand, as I sit here with Sunday football on, NFL football on um, recording this, how has 
to this point, Houston not run any version or form of the basic tush push, right? It's being called so effective. It's not like, like people are questioning, should they take it out of pro football, right? College teams are running all over America. I'm not saying everyone can be effective at it at all. I don't think it's that easy to do, but Houston's got a six, five, 240 pound quarterback in a preseason. Uh, it was four team, all four team, all conference on Athlon at uh, four team, all conference center. Um, I don't care. I, I think the guards, the weak link, the offense, uh, the offensive line for sure they're the less experienced of the bunch um on a group with a lot of experience to be fair seems to be where the sacks penalties come from if you're with the guards and the tush push fine get gimmicky and flip your tackles and guards to the play you need a yard and a half like it's not that complicated um it doesn't have to be rocket science you got a big strong guy run the ball put your big strong guys in front of him and get a yard and a half um I, I understand that the shotgun snap allows you to read the defense pre-snap a little bit better. You can, you know, that's taking a step back. Does open up those kinds of vi- uh, vision angles. But at the end of the day, you need a yard, right? You need a yard. I mean, it feels like, and the painful thing is that it feels like in the same Houston State game, it kind of found some things to hand your hat on because while they're not a Big Twelve team, they're a talented defense that had held other Power Five teams, uh, big time teams, and BYU like. You saw BYU score 37 or whatever it was on um, on Arkansas. Um, they held those teams to fairly inconsequential numbers on offense. And Houston went out and against St. Houston State had a field day. And so you thought that you'd kind of found some things that were working. And then when Texas Tech watches film, they practice too, right? They're a college football team. They're going to freaking practice. They take away some of those things at halftime. They make some adjustments, da, da, da. You've got to have counter punches. You've got to have something that makes them – you know, every defense has a hole somewhere. There's no perfect scheme. There isn't, right? Um, you got to have something that takes advantage of what they do to put them back in the thing that lets you do what you're good at. And Houston was still trying to find that answer as of Sunday when we're recording this. Now, I want to talk some in the second second about the defensive struggles, and I don't want to act like they were only offensive struggles. But first, we got to talk about our buddies at Athletic Brewing. Um, now athletic brewing is really trying to change the game. Um, I feel like I need to tell you guys about like game changing moments, game changing this game changing that. And I really feel like the moment we all thought was going to be game changing was when Sam Brown got in the end zone for a touchdown. I was like, Oh, we're really finding everyone in the end zone today. Fellas. Like this is a good moment. Houston was driving down the field. The offense was clicking. That's what we wanted it to be. As far as the game changing moment goes, Instead, it was probably more likely the pump block for a touchdown. Um, and we'll leave it at that. But much like those plays changed the game, Athletic Brewing Company has completely changed the game in non-alcoholic beer. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. Their brews are great tasting and award-winning and beat out full-strength beers in global competitions. They brew over 50 styles of draft non-alcoholic beer, including IPAs, Golden Sours. I like the Sours a lot. Trust me on that one and more. They're constantly releasing limited edition experimental styles to add to their variety. So you can find the Athletic Brewing Company's Nautical Beers at a store near you, or you can buy online at athleticbrewing.com. First-time customers can use code Locked On to get 15% off your order. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com near beer. Exclusive conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. 
All right, so I mentioned that I want to talk some about the defense in the second segment because um, I've been putting, bluntly, I've been putting this off. Um, I thought, you know, admittedly, there's, and it's only two big 12 games in, um, there's going to be some form of a growth period and transition to the big 12. And I think, honestly, the defense is probably going to bear the brunt, I would have thought was going to bear the brunt of that um, because you're, you know, Defense is the side of the ball you rotate guys the most often because you need fresh legs at all times. Having a big 12 deep roster on defense, while I think very highly of the guys we have on the field most of the time. Um, honestly, like we saw TCU play Houston go uh, three deep with effectiveness at defensive line. Houston's more like one and a half ish deep. Right now, right, they get really young really fast. Linebackers, same kind of thing, right? Once you start pounding the rock inside, you have fresh linebackers coming in, right? Fill holes. Um, and as I say, that you don't have your, your studs to put on the field in key situations in the clutch time and the third and short, whatever. But rotating guys fluidly is important in Big 12 play on defense more so than anything. You want fresh legs at corner, right? All those kinds of positions. I was trying to, like, and mentally, and I maybe hadn't expressed this here, been like, you know what? TCU had the ball a lot of that TCU game. I can't be that mad at the defense when they're on the field for so much. They need to get off the field, but da da da, right? Sam Houston State, they had a field day because Sam Houston State, aside from the one driveway, had like a trick play and a couple penalties, and they came up with a new quarterback or whatever. Like outside of that, Houston did fine. Um, against Texas Tech, though, it echoed some of the same problems we've seen against the first half of Rice, against TCU and so on, and unfortunately, the tiredness worn out by the Big 12 speed and pace, those kinds of things aren't really valid excuses in this game. Texas Tech ran just 59 offensive plays. Now, they had a couple plays, uh, you know, one play called back for a penalty, and da-da-da-da, but let's round up to 60. They had 60 offensive plays and Houston was worn out. That's what Dana Holgerson said in the post game, right? And that doesn't seem to make any sense to me, and makes me sincerely wonder why that would make sense to anyone in that office. Because I understand if you're thinking like, "Oh man, they just kept pounding the rock," and da 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 da, and we had no answer for it. But truthfully, in 59 plays of offense, Texas Tech scored. 35 points. Now they scored 49 points in the game because they had two touchdowns on special teams. I'm admittedly not counting that, but 35 offensive points and 59 offensive plays is a lot. That's a lot of points, especially when you consider like most offenses typically run more like 70 plays. When Houston's playing team that run high tempo, they're running 80 and 90 plays at the same rate. That's the same as giving up 50, 60 points. That's unacceptable in any level of football. Now, I think the interesting thing is, and the ultimate question you've seen people debate on Twitter on the defense is like, you know, you could almost argue in the first half that, you know, they didn't give up both of those special team scores, right? Um, The defense did not. And that's probably fair. The game would look different. It's not an if so facto this, then that. You take off the 14 points, right? Um, There's little faith I have at this point that before halftime, Houston would have had an easy time stopping the Texas Tech offense. Obviously, like Baron Morton playing with the lead helped him some, and being able to run the ball with the lead helped them some. But I, I'm struggling to find things Houston does well defensively. I know players that are good on defense, right? Um, I've mentioned how strong I think Dotton Wanko was inside throughout the 
frankly, all five games thus far this season. Nelson Caesar is putting pro caliber stuff on tape. I think AJ Halsey lays the wood as well as any safety we've seen on either side of the football thus far, right? Um, Malik Fleming finally got picked on a little bit against TCU because they're against Texas Tech. I'm sorry, because they got some really tall guys at a wideout, but he's had a pretty stellar year thus far. Save the two jump balls he was beat on because he's not very tall, right? Um, Isaiah Hamilton has had very high passer gradings and stuff like that as far as like defensive backs covering up their space and what have you. They've got guys with talent individually. Collectively, they seem to be missing something. And unfortunately, I think it's coming down to like they're getting spread really thin at linebacker. They played four guys in the course of the Tech game. Um, Hip played mostly at safety in this game, if I'm reading things correctly here. And what ends up happening is is that, um, honestly, in a running back-dominated game, at least the Texas Tech side of it was, um, those guys become really, really important. Now, um, Lake Robinson did lead the team in tackles. He had 12 tackles. Um, again, 12, 12 tackles when they only played 59 plays of offense. It's a pretty sizable chunk, to say the least. Not only four of those are solo, so but you know, sizable chunk of the tackles, to say the least. But there's got to be something else to help plug this up because Houston pretty much stayed in a six-man box for the duration of the game. That means they had the four defensive linemen and the two linebackers in without having anyone out in pass coverage. Sometimes they had more. They pulled in strong stages and stuff down in the box, put bigger bodies in there even more so because of what Texas Tech was doing. But Texas Tech had 239 yards on the ground. Taj Brooks himself had 101 yards. Uh, Taj Brooks may be a future pro. It sounds like his 40 time I determined he's a day two pick or day three pick, and he's looking more like a day three pick currently. But Houston made him look like a first round pick. I mean, Houston let him, made him look like a stellar running back from the 1990s. Um, and what's interesting there, so he had um, 128, had 128 yards, 128. Uh, I have 128 yards on Pro Football Focus. ESPN stats have been a little bit off as I'm paying attention to things, but 128 yards, let's go over 100. If you're going between the two. Um, and interestingly enough, 17 of his 21 carries were just his own place. That means basic hat on hat lineman lining up and driving things. And Houston had trouble finding the running back. He was typically, um, you know, at his yards per carry is over four. And, uh, you know, that's, pretty astonishing to say that in every three carries he's going to get a first down. I think what's more interesting is that he had three rushes of over 15 yards. That means one out of every seven times a hand in the ball, he gets a chunk of the football field, right? That's embarrassing. That's poor. That's poor us. That's bad, right? And I don't have an immediate fix. Um, I do know that this is not the first time we talk about this defense giving up a lot of points. We talked about giving up a lot of points and a lot of yards in the ground against Imani Bailey and TCU. I admittedly think that this Taj Brooks guy looks like he's ranked higher on pro scout boards than Imani Bailey was. Um, but either way, this is a consistent, consistent, consistent problem. Then you flip on like the rice tape and they have problems through the air against JT Daniels. Um, and some of that was trickeration with McCaffrey running complex routes and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I struggle to find, like the same way we talked about before the same Houston game after the TCU game, what does the offense do well? Outside of like a handful of individuals, as a full squad, 
What does the defense hang their hat on? What does the defense take away? What does the defense say? You're going to have to find some other way besides this, right? You can't do this to us. What do we do there? And I'm not saying that anyone's perfect. Heck, even Georgia and Michigan and who's else on the top? Uh, Texas and Ohio State. Even they have holes in their defense. Even they have moments where defense doesn't look great. Um, but at the end of the day, more times than not, you go into a game, you're like, okay, Georgia's not going to let you run between the tackles, right? You go into a game against Michigan, you're like, you know what? Michigan's going to make you hit the corners and the edges. And Michigan's going to make you throw a ball in front of them, right? They're not going to let you go over the top. Uh, you go into a game against Ohio State, it's like you, you don't have more speed than they do, right? I'm not saying that Houston is, in year one of the Big 12, going to be a top five in the nation type team yet. I think that's a decent goal for a program located in Houston. I don't, don't think it's anything crazy. I get why they're not there yet. I know the history. I teach history, frankly. But at the end of the day, they need to be working towards it. There needs to be some semblance of it. There needs to be something that can become that thing. Now, if you are bleeding and reeling after the weekend, much like the Houston Cougars were on defense Let's talk a little bit about FanDuel because FanDuel is America's number one sports book. Uh, right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. We can place $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Now, they got super easy to use apps. Right now, they already have where to go. They already have next week's Texans game down. Uh, they have the Texans are dogs. In Atlanta by two and a half points. Okay, if you watch football, whether the Toy Story cast on Atlanta or the Houston and CJ Stroud, I think we both know that that's ridiculous. Go right now before the line changes. Put some money on Houston at FanDuel.com. Or if baseball is more your jam, they've got the Houston Astros as four, at plus 480 to win the World Series. Now, they mess around and let Houston win the West. So maybe if you're feeling good and feeling frisky, you want to go put something on that as well. Whatever you're going to put down, you go do it at FanDuel.com. Use FanDuel.com slash locked on to kick off the NFL season in October. I promise I'm speaking. I promise I speak for a living. Uh, FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right. I said the defense was indefensible. I said the offense had problems. I also said that we'd wrap up by talking about what comes next. What comes next is a bye week. Uh, bye week is a week you can't lose. Bye week is also, typically, the easiest time to make internal changes. You've got some time, some downtime specifically, in an effort to you know just focus on yourself. There will be some much-deserved rest because the guy, I mean, there's not a... I don't think it's a lack of effort and playing thing. There'll be much deserved rest for guys need to rest their bodies and heal up. That should take some precedent too. But you can get in the film room. You coaches can get in the meeting room. People can get together and start working towards getting the ship righted. And it needs to happen very, very quickly. Because frankly, and what we thought, and what I certainly thought, I'm on the record of thinking, I'm not going to shy away from it, They'd come out of this, they have a bye week this week, and the next week they play West Virginia on Thursday night, right? Um, I think we all assumed that that would be, honestly, kind of a get-right game as far as Big 12 games go. They were ranked super poorly in preseason. They weren't great last year and didn't return a whole lot, right? Like, like theoretically, it was not going to be a great West Virginia team. There's, you know, where they were. Instead, this West Virginia team has open Big 12 play 
by beating the two teams that have beaten Houston, TCU and Texas Tech. Um, the TCU game specifically being fairly impressive as far as like the resolve and stuff down the stretch. West Virginia is good. I, I was wrong. I think a lot of people were, but I'll admit it. I was wrong. West Virginia is good. So you need to get some things right before that and go into that. What is going to be a tough game? It's in Houston because, man, if that one was in Morgantown, the crowd around winning that game against Dana would be nuts. And while it's a probably like a money making scheduling snafu on their part, um, I have to say I'm glad this game's in Houston for a number of reasons. Um, but they, they got they got to have something figured out by that because then you play that one. That's a Thursday night, and then about ten days later, the Cow School Burn Orange from Austin comes to town, and they seem to be setting the world on fire. Now, I've maintained and will continue to maintain that not only is it would it be very UT Austin to lose to Oklahoma in a year where they think they're the best team in the country, it would be very UT Austin in a year where they think they're the best team in the country to lose to a team they should not lose to, and on paper, one of those teams is us, right? I would think everyone on our roster has got a little bit geeked up to go play them at some point. But we'll talk about that when we get to that week. Right now, Houston's got to find ways to get to their identity on offense. Because I thought they'd found one. they got to find ways to get to that identity. And on defense, they've got to find said identity. Now, I mentioned that the bye week is typically the easiest time of year to have change. And if you've listened this far, um, you're probably somewhat of a diehard fan, right? Um I am not going to beat around the bush with you. I think a lot of people are looking at what's happened at the University of Houston over the last five years and thinking that changes need to happen with the guy with the whistle. Uh, folks want Dana Hogan gone. People are very vocal about it. People are even doing things, I would argue, degrade the program, like booing at home games, to try and get their point across. Um, I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. I think he's... I. The way I am as a football coach is it's never as good as you think it is when you're good. It's never as bad as you think it is when it's bad, right? That's the way the tape always tells you. When you blow a team out, you turn on the tape, you find a bunch of mistakes. When you lose a game poorly, you play poorly, you turn it on, you end up finding spots that like you can work with it, you can build on that, right? That's just how sports go. I don't think it's that crazy. Yes, there are winners and losers. This is not, uh, you know, everyone gets a ribbon kind of crap, but this is football. And generally speaking, the margins in football can be razor thin, right? It looks like the Jets are playing competitively right now with the Chiefs as I'm talking about this, right? Um, but things do need to change. And frankly, probably reason I don't think Dana's going anywhere is um, there seem to be some other things that could change before they get to that. And there are a number of reasons to try those changes first. For instance, we mentioned the defense and that, that you know, they did a lot of things to pull to keep Doug Belk on staff. And I think Doug Belk has had some moments where he looked really stinking good as defensive coordinator. And then as the pressure's ramped up, as the play's ramped up, as the competition's ramped up, there's also been moments where the defense has been porous. Again, 35 offensive points in 59 plays. Porous. 77 points to SMU a year ago. Porous. Texas Tech in 2021. Uh, 2021. Porous, right? There are porous. Uh, Texas Tech both times. That's weird. Um, I look at this and I'm thinking, you know what? I get it. Um, Dana's going to have a fall guy. It's going to be the defense can't get the ball back. Right? Like that would be very, very common. Very, very 
blaming a coordinator, getting coordinate right. That would not be the first time it's ever happened. The other egregious mistake Houston's made is it becomes, I think it's very apparent at this point that the lack of identity off, on offense, lack of uh, flexibility in offense, those things, can, the creativity in offense too, could all be tied to not having a true offense coordinator, right? They didn't ever replace Shannon. People were not upset to see Shannon Dawson go, but they certainly never replaced him, right? And so what's going on with that? Um, you could see shifts in the coordinators and play calling happen in the next two weeks, 10 days by the end of the season, right? Um, that'll be the first switch. That'll be the first swap. That'll be the first change made. Um, and then, frankly, because in this first season of the Big 12, um, there were relatively, I think, nationally lower expectations than internally, but even internally, it was like, can we get to a bowl game? Who knows? Um, it looks harder and harder by the day. I would imagine that means that you're looking at Dana Hogan to be the head coach in 2024. Um, and though I would hope need to be tangible, measurable steps forward for things to continue in 2025. I'm not typically one that likes to fire coaches. If you listen to the show for a long time, I you've heard me say this before, but I kind of think it's lazy. I think I kind of think that typically when things are going poorly, someone's saying, we need a new coach. Like that's the most common take in sports. And I don't think that it's always accurate. I think it's kind of a, a crutch to go to when you don't know what else you're looking at. But as someone who watches team a lot, there are some things that need to be better. And um, that's not saying that there aren't things that I've seen Dan Hogerson do well. I'm not going to say that. Uh, same with Doug Bowe's defense. There's days where it looks really good. Um, there have just been a lot more days recently where they don't. And at some point, it doesn't really matter as a coach. Uh, so here, this is the last, this will be our wrap up. We're going to go over 30 minutes. This will be our wrap up. Um, I coached the guy. I was on staff. The guy was a run game coordinator um, who coached at the division one level. I'm not going to say his name, but he coached the division one level. And he was like in between college level coaching jobs and coached with us. And um, he was in charge. He was a defense guy. He was an offense guy. But we got along pretty well. And I was coaching off his line. I was newly put in as calling the run plays or being charged the run plays. When they needed a run, they said, Parkway, do. And I said, Here's what you got to do. Boom. Right. Um, and kid missed a block. High school kid missed a block. It happens. And the head coach, he comes to me, he says, Parker, why the bleed did that happen? I said, Kind of, it is at practice. I was like, Well, I told him to get, and then he cut me off. I don't bleeping care what you told him to do. I care what you bleeping get him to do. I yelled at my face in the little practice in front of God and everybody. I've never been more red faced in my life. Here's what I'm saying. In coaching, it doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you say to do. It matters what you get done. And what you get the kids in college and high school sports. Pros are a little different thing. It matters what you get the kids to do. And frankly, I've got questions what the kids are getting to do. I, I think they've got the talent. I think they've got the players. I think they've got um, I think they've got more than they're showing, which makes me wonder why things aren't getting done. I, you know, that's where I'm going to leave that. Uh, more on that, I'm sure, to come over the course of the next few months and so on. Um, I don't think it's happening anytime soon. I do know this week is a bye week, and so that means that we will be talking some more about this game from probably putting it to bed tomorrow basketball later this week. I'm excited to talk about basketball because we got a bye week, so we have some time. No game to preview. We'll get jumpstart on West Virginia a little bit early, though, because West Virginia is a midweek game next week. 
it kind of changes things up a little bit. All right. So a little bit funkier stuff here at Locked on Cooks. Make sure you subscribe to get the latest each and every day. We appreciate you being a every day here and listening to us first thing in the morning each and every day. Locked on Cooks. It's a proud member of Locked on Podcast Network. And that means your team every day, even on the hard ones. Go Cooks. I was shaking the whole time. I hate being negative. I was shaking the whole time.